is great to see all of you today. If you're a guest with us, my name's David, and I'm the pastor. We thank you for being here at First Baptist Church. And you're always welcome to be a part of the things we have going on three weeks from today. It's a huge day for our church. It's Epic Sunday. Now, every Sunday should be epic in its own way, but Epic Sunday is, is just when we come together at 1215. Uh, after we're through with our worship services, we kind of cut out that last service. And then we have a great picnic out there on the grass out there, baptism, uh, child dedication. Two nights before, Friday night is worship under the stars. It's just a great time. So you're going to get a lot of information about that. But as a pastor, I just want to personally say, I really would love to see you. Uh, there with us that Friday and that Sunday. Uh, we're in a series, Saul of Tarsus. Um, if you've been here at all these last few weeks, you, you know about it. It's about Paul, who we call uh, Paul the Apostle. But he was named Saul. He's from Tarsus. That's what we call the series that. Um, and at, at the heart of, of this series is a statement that I made really that first week. I mean, so much of it just applies to Paul. Um, and, and, and the statement is this. The story of Jesus is the most important story in the world. And how his story impacts your story is the most important story in your world. I mean, that's what Paul's life. Jesus completely changed his story, his life, when he came to faith. And the central part of that story of Jesus has to do with his resurrection. In fact, I've said many times, and, and sometimes the point of a sermon that I make is this, that Christianity rises and it falls on the resurrection of Jesus. If the resurrection is true, our faith is true. If it's false, then our faith is false. Now, to start off this series, we kind of looked at Paul's life to some degree. We saw his calling, controversy, opportunity, uh, re you know, rebellion or rejection, I should say, against the message uh, that he had to face. But now we're going to kind of look over these next few weeks at some of the teachings of Paul. And, and today we come to resurrection in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Paul, as we saw last week, Ended up in Corinth. We saw that in Acts chapter 18. Started a church there. Spent, you know, 18 months there. Eventually he leaves. Uh, that church did well. It grew. But church, like every church, had problems. And so a few years later, he's in Ephesus. And he's writing a letter to that church at Corinth to help deal with the problems. And, and a key part of that letter has to deal with resurrection. And so from the message of today, what I really want you to see and get from the message is this. If dead people can't rise from the dead, then Christ did not rise from the dead. And if Christ did not rise from the dead, then the Christian faith is empty. Now, obviously, dead people can't raise themselves. We understand God raises the dead. So we could put it this way. If for some reason you think God can't or won't raise the dead, then Christ wasn't raised from the dead. And if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, there is no Christian faith. And so as we come to the passage today, I'm going to break it down kind of into three sections. And, and the first comes from verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15 called controversy. A controversy is always a part of the Christian movement that never changes. And, and Paul had to deal with controversy constantly. Now, at the beginning of chapter 15, and chapter 15 in the book of 1 Corinthians is critical. It's really, of all Paul's writings, his longest kind of just section. There's some might say there are other places where over several chapters he deals with similar themes. But, but this is his longest concentrated section. And he begins chapter 15. It's a pretty famous part. In fact, the end of chapter 15 is very famous and well-known too because we read it at funerals a lot. But at the beginning of chapter 15, he talks about the gospel that he preached to them in which they receive, they stand on, and they're saved. And then he defines the gospel. 
In beginning of verse 3, he says, the gospel is this, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, when he says the scriptures, he's talking about his scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, because they didn't have the New Testament yet. So in the Old Testament, understand, it points to the cross of Christ, his death and resurrection. In Luke 24, I was reading that this week, Jesus said, you know, my suffering and my resurrection, the scriptures, the prophets talked about it. So he said, Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. And then he was buried. The burial of Jesus is the evidence that he died. Because he buried dead people. And then he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures. And then he was seen. How do we know Jesus was raised from the dead? People saw him. Peter saw him. Paul writes. The other apostles. The disciples saw him. He says 500 people saw him at one time. And if that's not enough. Two other people who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah before the resurrection saw him. James, who was his brother, and me. I saw him. And the resurrection of Jesus changed Paul's life. And it's not just that Jesus is resurrected. Fundamental to the faith was the idea that all of us who are followers of Christ will experience resurrection ourselves when Christ comes again. It's a key part of our faith. We don't talk about it much, but it is. And the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus to Gentiles was a radical change. For in the Greek world, fundamentally, what they believed about death is really one of two things. There's other things. Basically, it's this. And the same in our culture today. They either believed that when you died, everything ceased. That there was no more existence. As a friend of mine who's not a believer says, you just become dirt. What a sad way to live life, thinking that at your death, everything about you ceases to exist. There is no memory. There is no life. You are through. Man, I can't even imagine that. The other thing they believed is that your soul would live on, but your physical body was, would rot, and there was, there was no concept of resurrection, just the idea of this soul, whatever it is, leaving on. So Paul writes this then in verse 12 after he's written about the gospel. He says, if Christ is preached and he has been raised from the dead. Now that's what they preach. The word preached means to, to deliver a message with content. It's not just the act of preaching, that there was a context. There's a content that matters. What he has preached is that he has been raised from the dead. No one ever preached that Jesus raised himself. Peter said it best. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. The belief was that God raised him from the dead. In fact, it's written in such a way as it expresses something that happened to him. Then how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If we preach that Jesus was risen, how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, the point that he's making is this. Evidently, it wasn't that people denied the resurrection of Jesus. But some within the church were denying that the believers would be resurrected. So what had happened is somehow the culture had come into and infected the church. That happens quite a bit. Culture can infect us in so many ways. And, and it's not that we live in isolation. In fact, one of the things I constantly, I say this all the time, we encounter our culture every day. We engage our culture. There are people who are just infatuated with the culture. They're, they're just soaked up in the culture. I, they're my friends. I love them. I just don't agree with them. I may not agree with what they believe. I may not agree with what they live, but I can still love them. I encounter their culture. I engage the culture, but what I do not do is embrace the culture. I don't open my arms up and say, I want the beliefs and teachings, the practices of the culture in 
my life and in the church. Can't ever do that. Christianity is always run counter to the culture it lives in. But it doesn't embrace the culture or it invites false teaching. This is what happened. We see it today. We see a desire among some, and I'll talk about this more a little bit in a few minutes, to so embrace the culture, to try to connect with them, to try to somehow be relevant, that they open up and accept the ideas of the culture. And when they do that, one of the things they begin to do is struggle with the concept of resurrection. Now, we don't know for sure what they denied about the resurrection back then. It may have been that they simply taught that once you die, that's it, life is over. They may have believed that, you know, like some Greeks, that your body won't be resurrected, but your soul just lives on. Or maybe they believed the resurrection was spiritual. But whatever they believed back then, it was a wrong teaching. And because they denied the resurrection, period, they deny, had to deny the resurrection of Jesus. They let the culture come in, and we let our culture do the same. And we let it do the same about the resurrection. And so today, within the broad, broad framework of Christian, and I dare even use the word Christian in connection to some of these teachings and churches and pastors, but only in the loosest sense, they begin to take the resurrection. And either they say it didn't happen, or it doesn't matter, or they spiritualize it, and they gut the resurrection out of the Christian faith. And that is going on all around us in the embracing of a culture in opposition to Christ. It is always going to have controversy in the church. It never leaves. And this is part of the controversy we face. The second thing I want you to see are consequences. The body of the passage today deal with consequences. Now, I'm going to break this down a little bit for you. Um, what you have is you're going to have two parallel statements in verse 13 and 16. And then from each of those statements, you're going to have three kind of consequences. So I'll go through statements and a total of six consequences, and I'll take you through it. Verse 13 says this. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if you're going to say that there is no resurrection. Now, the argument isn't that people raise themselves, but that God raises. So if you're going to say that God doesn't raise the dead, then logically, and Greeks love logic, you have to also say that he didn't raise Jesus from the dead. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't say God doesn't or cannot raise from the dead. It could be that they said he doesn't or he can't. But you can't say that and say, well, the exception is Jesus. When fundamental of the Christian faith is that we're all going to be raised when Christ comes again, you can't deny that and hold on to the resurrection of Jesus, Paul says. If you do that, notice what happens. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. The preaching is the content. He begins the chapter by saying, I preach to you the gospel. He defines the gospel, including resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then what I preach is in vain. The word vain means to be without content. So when um, Carly Simon sings, you're so vain, whoever she's singing to, <clears throat> Nick Jagger, <laughs> Warren Beatty, all those guys. You have no content. <laughs> That's what it means. You're vain. You're empty inside. And not only that, he says, your faith also is in vain. Your faith is vain too. You're, you, what you've believed is empty. It has no content. It has no content because what I preached to you had no content. I preached gospel. I preached the resurrection of Jesus and that people saw him. You deny that if it didn't happen then not only is my preaching empty, your faith is empty. Verse 15 says this, Moreover, 
We are even found to be false witnesses of God. In other words, we've lied about God. Because we testified against God, not for God, but against God that he raised Christ, whom he, in fact, did not raise if the dead are not raised. So if the dead can't be raised and God didn't do it, and I preach to you that God raised Jesus from the dead, if that's what Peter preaches, if that's what we all preach, we lied against God. You don't ever want to lie about God. I mean, rebelling against God, yeah, we all do it, but you don't. You call yourself Boston. Preachers don't need to lie about God. Somebody's lying, though. Because they're saying, Paul and the other guys, there is a physical resurrection. And some people are saying there isn't. Somebody's lying about God. So you have these unbelievable consequences. The preaching, the faith is empty. They're false teachers and prophets are not those at Corinth, but Paul and Peter and those guys. And he says in 16, he says it again. If the dead are not raised, that even Christ has not been raised. Now notice what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, in verse 17, he says, your faith is worthless. Now the word worthless means to have no value whatsoever. We believe that we're saved by grace through faith. That our faith allows us to experience the saving grace of God in Christ by the power of Holy Spirit. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, that faith is of no use whatsoever. It has no value. Faith is empty and it's useless. And then he says this consequence, and you are still in your sins. You're still rebelling against God. This is, our rebellion against God has put us in this place to begin with. All the way back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned. They wanted to be like God. That was a temptation. You get to be like God. Everybody wants to be the God of your own life. We all do. We all think, if I could be God, if, if y'all would just listen to me, your lives would be okay. That's it. my life. But we just want to be God. And we live in rebellion. And our sin is personal. And here's the thing. In our culture, and I'm going to talk about our culture in a few minutes, but our culture, man, they don't like sin. Because our culture wants to think you can live however you want, you can believe whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, and you're okay. The problem isn't you. The problem is, you know, those Christians who have these hang-ups and these views, but you can live however you want. And the concept of sin is difficult. In fact, here's the thing. In a world of moral relativism, where there is no absolute right or wrong, sin is an unwelcome concept. Our culture despises Christianity in large part because we proclaim and believe in sin. We are sinners. You are sinners by your nature. You are sinners by your choice. You have rebelled against God, and you know it, and I know it. But if there is no right or wrong, if there is no absolute of God, then we can't be sinners. And there is the problem. Then the sixth consequence is this, verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep or who have died in Christ as a believer have perished. I mean, Paul's saying is this, if, you, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then when you die, you're no better off than before. You have perished. The word perish means to be destroyed. It doesn't mean simply to cease to exist, but in the context, it means to experience the result of rebellion against God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus is preaching. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life and they shall by no means 
perish. That means be destroyed, to face the consequences of rebellion. And it's written in an emphatic form. By no means, it's, it's, in the Greek, it's a double negative. Now, in, in English, double negatives are bad. I know that because in the two years I took freshman English, I write double negatives, you know. And the teacher's like, that's bad. Once I took Greek, I wrote my teacher and I said, you owe me a real apology because you were behind the times. I was doing good Greek. It means this, there ain't no way they'll perish. Ain't no way, baby. Ain't no way. That baby's just an added part from the South Texas. But Paul says, if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, then all who believed and died have perished. Perished. See, here's the thing. The consequences of denying the resurrection is to remain in rebellion against God. You have not received forgiveness. You are still living in your rebellion. That's pretty serious. So denying the resurrection has very serious consequences. Even if you say, but we're not denying the resurrection of Jesus. We're just denying the resurrection of believers. Paul said, no, 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 you can't have it that way. Either God resurrects or he doesn't. Which brings me to the third thing in the passage that I want you to see, which is the cost. Everything has a cost in life. Everything has a cost. Our salvation has a cost. It costs Jesus' life. Sitting here has a cost. You have to listen to me. <laughs> if you go out into the cafe and you buy something, there's a cost. I hope there's a cost to that. <laughs> Pay for that. Now, the other cost is free. It's no cost to you. It's just to the church. But everything in life has cost. And so, verse 19, here's the cost. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, think about it. The word pity means to need mercy. <laughs> We're without mercy. We need mercy. He said, if we have hoped only in this life. Now, the word hope is important because it's not wishful thinking. See, most of us, the hope is wishful thinking. If you have a you know, football today, you know, and just uh, 11 o'clock, you know, the game start, you know, Cowboy fan, they're playing Washington at 11 o'clock, I hope they win. That's wishful thinking. You know, you're hoping this sermon is only half an hour. That's wishful thinking. <laughs> it is. You're hoping wherever you have lunch, the food is good. If you're going out, you hope the people are going out with, you hope they pick up the tab. That's just wishful thinking. Trust me, it never happens. But our concept of hope is the confident expectation of a reality. It is, I'm going to use a fancy preacher term. I don't like to use it very often because I don't think we should use fancy preacher terms too often. But it's the word eschatological. Eschatological means dealing with the last times. What it really means in pragmatic conversation is eternal. Hope has an eternal aspect to it. That's why in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confident expectation. We have a confident expectation. But... If there is no resurrection of dead, we don't have the confident expectation of eternal life because we perish. All we're living for then is this life only. You have done, you have wasted this life. You have followed a lie. There are so many other things you could have done, but you didn't. You believed a lie if there is no resurrection of the dead. That is a tough place to be. And so here you have the struggle and the controversy that they're going through, that Paul is dealing with them, denying the resurrection of Christ. And to this day, the denial of the resurrection of Jesus is still prevalent. I share this a lot with you about 
our culture. I repeat a lot of things. I know that people say, you say the same thing a lot. I do. And that's because I know that even the most faithful, active church members, all the studies show, attend church twice a month. So the most active members come about 24, 25 times a year. And that's okay. I'm just saying, so a lot of things I repeat. So you hear it. And because some of you just forget it too. Let's just be honest. I forget things. So critical to our understanding, this emphatic, is our culture. Now, you know, as part of the Christian faith, there are certain things that are pillars of our faith. And I tell you this all the time. You know, creation, God created. It's a, it's a fundamental pillar to what we believe. He created something from nothing. That he reveals himself to us. And ultimately in Jesus is fundamental. The virgin birth, that, you know, who Jesus is, who he is. We celebrate that at Christmas. His nature is fundamental. And, of course, the resurrection. I mean, those things matter a lot to our faith. You need to, once you become a follower of Jesus, you need to believe those. But in the world we live in, they have their pillars, and at least two of the pillars of, the, of whatever they believe are moral relativism and syncretism. Moral relativism is that there is no absolute right or wrong, that you can believe and do whatever you want, and it's okay. In fact, it's somewhat ironic, but the only thing that isn't okay is to deny that you can believe and do whatever you want. That's a little bit of irony there, but that's the way it works. They don't have a problem with it. And so, in the Christian faith looks at moral relativism and says, what you believe is wrong and how you live is wrong, then they reject us because that's not okay. Syncretism is the idea that everything basically is heading to the common good, the common place, and you can pick and choose whatever you want because it's all really the same reality. So what resurrection does is it destroys all of that because resurrection, if it's real, is an objective truth. And Jesus didn't raise himself literally physically, historically, God had to have raised him. It's the only explanation. If God actually raised Jesus, that means there is a God, and he is a moral being, and moral relativism is wrong, and syncretism is wrong, and so they despise the idea of resurrection. And what has happened in our culture, as always happens in the Christian world, is that that culture seeps into certain aspects of Christianity and in certain groups and begins to infect some parts of Christian faith. And so within Christianity today, there are groups who begin to believe and deny, uh, believe in what more relativism teaches and denies the necessity of a physical resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to share with you some three quotes. You don't have to write these down. If you, they're going to pop up. They won't be up there very long. They're up there, so I didn't have to, to remember the quote in its entirety. <laughs> but what some are teaching within the Christian faith is this, that the resurrection narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are given to each of us individually to interpret and enjoy in our own way, literally and metaphorically. In other words, the resurrection account, you can, you can interpret it however you want. It's open season. And you can enjoy it however you want. The meaning doesn't matter as long as it's your meaning. Recently, um, several denominations within the Christian movement and faith have had this controversy seek in. It's not really a part of Baptist life. And in, in the Baptist world, this really hasn't seeked in, at least yet. But it's seeped into some others. And so I was reading an article uh, recently about uh, one of the denominations struggling with this. And uh, they quoted some of the leadership who were moving this direction. Here's what one of them had to say. Jesus' resurrection didn't have to be understood as a physical one for it to be a real and meaningful one. Understand, Jesus' resurrection didn't have to be real in order to be real and meaningful. Another when asked a question, this question, here's how he answered. Here's what he says. Do you believe in the bodily resurrection? His response was yes, metaphorically. 
Do you believe in the historical bodily resurrection, the factual resurrection of Jesus? Yes. Symbolically, in other words. That's what it's become. And that's what it is. And therein lies the danger. So understand this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write the story of Jesus. And central to that story is his resurrection. It's the cross. He died for our sins in our place and on our behalf. But that's not enough. If all he did was die and stay dead, didn't do anything for us, God raised him back to life. And people saw him. And Peter, this was his message. Read the book of Acts. He would go to people and say, Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. You crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He all kept saying, God raised him from the dead. I saw him. And Paul writes of the gospel. He was resurrected. Peter saw him. The apostles saw him. James saw him. I saw him. And if you don't believe us, there are 500 people who saw him at one time. Some of them are still alive. Go ask them. It is the core of their teaching. To deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is either to be extremely ignorant or unbelievably arrogant. By ignorant means you just simply don't know anything. And why should anyone ever listen to you? But most of the time it is arrogance. It is the arrogance of someone 2,000 years after the, the resurrection of Jesus. 1900 to, 20, uh, to, two, uh, to 1950 years after scriptures were written, the gospels were written. And the only thing we know about Jesus, you get this, is what's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what Peter, what, what Paul, what they write and say. That's all we know about Jesus. It is to be so arrogant that 2,000 years later you say, I know more about Jesus than what the people who wrote about Jesus know about Jesus. That, my friend, is arrogant. And it's damnable. And it is the lie that people are believing today. And if you're not careful, you might find yourself falling into that lie into that trap. And if we're not careful, when we deal with people in the culture around us, we will fail to tell them the most important part of the story of Jesus. We'll get caught up in everything else but what really matters, the resurrection. For you see, to follow Jesus is to believe he was resurrected from the dead to complete the forgiveness of our sin. To follow him is to believe in the resurrected Christ. Paul writes it this way, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Now, there's nothing we do to earn our salvation. I got that. And there's no creed or group of things we have to adhere to, like, you know, creation, virgin birth, you know, all that, I, to be saved. I get that. After we're saved, we should believe that. But here's what Paul does say. You're just not believing in the idea of Jesus or the concept of Jesus or that he lived. You're putting your faith in the Jesus who was raised by God from the dead. And for that, that is necessary for your salvation. At the center of the story of Jesus is the story of his resurrection. And if you do not believe in the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, you do not believe in Jesus. You can't believe it. You can't believe in him. 
and deny the resurrection. And people try. And people say. But understand, Paul won't let you do it. Peter won't let you do it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John won't let you do it. And Jesus won't let you do it. For Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my heavenly Father. When we went through the Gospel of Mark, on three different times, I shared what Jesus shared on three different times. I preached what he shared on three different times, that he would die and come back to life. It is the central part of our story. So understand this, the cost of denying the resurrection is to hide no hope for salvation from sin. You deny the resurrection, you have no hope of salvation from your sin. And the Christian faith does you no good. You are wasting your time. There simply is no reason to ever attend a church service or to even to pretend to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, if you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Your life is nothing but a lie. So I began the service saying the cost of denying Jesus is great. Because if you deny that dead people can't rise from the grave, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then your faith is empty. Because central to the story of Jesus is his resurrection. So do you believe in the resurrected Jesus? If not, why not? You need to put your faith not just in the idea of a concept of Jesus. It isn't symbolic. It isn't meaningful in some weird way. The resurrected Jesus is the one who saves you. So trust him. And if you are a follower of Christ, what is it that you're sharing with people? At some point, you've got to share with them that Jesus died and rose from the dead. That is the core of the message you share. Would you share that? As we sing a song in just a few seconds, we're going to be standing up here. If you want to come and pray with us, you can. If you want to come and trust Christ to be your Savior, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can. Ladies, if you'd like to talk to another lady, there'll be at least one, maybe two up here. If you want to join our church, you can. But please understand this. The most important thing for you this day is to leave this place believing and trusting in the resurrected Jesus. And Lord, we come before you and praise you and honor you. And we give you the glory that is by all rights yours. For you are the Holy One among us who created us in your glorious power. And Father, even though we have rebelled against you, you provided the unbelievable means of our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, who you brought back to life after he died for us. So let us, who claim to be Christians, who claim to follow Jesus, proclaim that resurrected Christ is our Lord. And let us, Father, share with others that Jesus has risen from the grave. And that is how we experience your forgiveness of our sin. Amen and amen. Would you stand and you come?